Writers on Craft. I'm Suzanne Legrand, and today I'm speaking with poet, creative nonfiction, and fiction writer Floyd Sklute. Your work has received quite a few awards and quite a bit of recognition, among them three Pushcart Prizes, a Penn USA Literary Award, two Pacific Northwest Book Awards, and two Oregon Book Awards. And as a writer, I'm curious, how do you do it? What's your secret to being so productive? (laughs) Well, you know, I don't think I am that productive. I write very, very slowly and stick at it as best I can. I can only write a little bit on a particular day. But if you work daily, even a little bit daily, the pages add up. Could you talk a little bit about how you work? I I, I think that's always a question that's interesting to writers. Mm -hmm. Like, do you get up at five o'clock in the morning? and (laughs) Not if I can help it. We usually are up between 7, 7.30 around there. And we have this morning time where in my case I'll I'll go into my my room and if I've got a project in progress I'll start my my mornings are my best times or the times when I am most able to do the work that I need to do so I need to get it done then I think one part of my working method that's maybe been conducive to being productive every day is that I have a lot of projects going at once. I have at least six essays right now that are in various stages of completion. I have probably as many or more poems that are in various stages of completion, as well as notes for other essays and other poems. I do the occasional book review, and that's always there to be done. And you so, find that working on these multiple tracks is, is helpful? You don't get confused or lost in any one of them? I don't. And what I find is if I don't allow myself to have many things going at once, there's an urge that I feel is necessary to resist to finish something now, to get it done now so I can move on to something else, so I can get it published and just start the next thing. And I've learned over the years that for me, that's a, that's a trap, that the best thing to do is to be able to let things sit. The only way to let them sit for me has been to have something else to work on too. And I've also found that an individual essay, an individual poem, a story, I'll be able to work on it for a certain period of time and then I need to stop. I need to wait and see what happens next or where it needs to go next. And that kind of rhythm is also helped by being able to say, okay, I've taken this poem to here. I, I can see two or three other ways it needs to go. I think I need to set that aside and let me turn to something else now. And I'll go back and pick up that essay that I had been working on that needed. And I can almost always tell when I've reached one of those points in the composition of a piece of work. How can but, you tell? You can just see that there's a different energy. There's a different sense of certainty or uncertainty there's a feeling that I've reached a point where there's a shift in rhythm for me and a shift in thought, or I'm thinking about something outside of that piece now. So letting all those things happen at the same time 
not only does it improve each individual piece, I think, for me, but it, it improves my whole writing frame of mind. There's lots to be done. There's lots to be done. How do you know when a piece isn't done? You don't always, but, you know, I'm 64. I've been writing for 45 years now and have evolved to the point, I think, as a writer when I know this, this is done. And my process is more of one of cutting rather than adding. And so you can usually tell when you've got it down to where if it can't lose anything else. And I, I, can, I can tell when I've hit bone. Could you talk a little bit about the process of learning to write and how you learned? Well, you know, I had a very different pathway, I think, than and many other writers may have had. Um, I, I mean, graduated from college as, as an English major. I went to college with delusions that I would be a baseball player, a professional ball player, despite my lack of size, despite my lack of talent, despite the interest or the lack of interest in any professional scouts that didn't stop me from believing fully that I would be the next center fielder for the, the Dodgers. Fortunately, I was injured when I was 19 and unable to, to play anymore. Reality, hardly for the first time, and certainly not for the last time, intruded on these, these plans. And I, I took up acting for a bit and, again, ran into this gulf between my ambitions and my sense of myself and what apparently the rest of the world thought. I intended to be the next romantic lead in all the major movies and plays that were, were being done at that time. And at 5'4", and looking as I do, that was probably not as realistic as it could be. And I kept being cast as a clown, as a comic, in comic roles. Eventually made my way into the English program and reading and started to write poetry. And then I realized almost immediately that this was for me. I went to graduate school to study with a great Irish poet named Thomas Kinsella and did that for a year. And then he left. And I was done with the traditional path at that point and began a career that lasted 17 years in the field of public policy selling my writing skills in a different format or forum than, than I might otherwise have followed, and then writing at night and on weekends um, and over my lunch hour. And that lasted for 17 years until I got sick, actually. Did having a day job help your writing, or were they in conflict? At the time, I believed it was killing me. It was a very difficult compromise that I, that I was making, but an essential one. I, I knew that I didn't want to be in an academic setting. I knew that I wasn't at a point where I could make a living from my writing. And uh, the work I was doing felt like good work. I just wasn't writing as much as I wanted to write. I think it turned out to be a very good thing because I also wasn't writing at the peak of my talents yet. God forbid I published more crap than I already had published during the 70s and early 80s now that I look back on it. 
So all told, it was probably very good. And it, it made me more efficient when it came to writing. It made me clearer and more focused when I sat at my creative writing desk. It wasn't all bad. But I also think it, it wasn't nourishing to the soul to have that split go on as long as it did. I wouldn't do it differently. I did. The path I took was the path I needed to take. What do you know about writing now? I know that craft is essential. I know, I know that coming up as a writer by being a poet first has been very beneficial to my prose in terms of a sense of rhythm and a sense of compression, a, a desire for accuracy, a sense that lyricism isn't necessarily fancy prose. It's accurate prose with some attention to sound, but nothing can, can be put in, in the place of, of accuracy and truth. So I know a few little things that have to do with craft, and I know that craft is essential to good writing, but I also know that craft alone isn't enough to make writing as rich as it needs to be to prescribe how you find the balance between your craft and these other considerations that's for each individual writer to discover mm-hmm. on her or his own. You've taught creative nonfiction. What do you teach your students as the line between fiction and nonfiction? You know, I, I feel like if you have to teach somebody what that line is, you better discourage them from being a writer altogether. You have to have a sense of honesty with your reader. You know, as a writer, I believe, when what you're, what you're saying is truth to you. This is what happened. I'm not embellishing facts. I'm not making things up. I'm telling you, to the best of my ability and with full intention of being truthful, that this is fact. Do we all remember situations differently? I know we do. Does memory function in a way that allows us to say it's an absolute record of what happened? Of course not. But it's about your intention. You know what, what is true in what you're saying. And if you don't, then you should just be writing fiction and not court that line. Because there's a compact you make with a reader when you, when you say this is nonfiction, this is, this is a memoir, it's a work of creative nonfiction, and everything in it is as true as I can make it be. That compact is sacred to me. And, and I feel like it should be for everybody else. And you know it. You know it when you sit down with your material, I believe. And if you don't, then probably what you're writing can't be relied upon to be truth and shouldn't be called nonfiction. I also tell... I mean, I don't teach a lot. I've taught at a couple of writing workshops, and I, I find that what I tell people most often is, "You're not going deeply enough. You're you're not seeing. You're not seeing deep enough yet. You haven't probed far enough yet. You're not being honest enough yet. You're going just for effect. You need to go deeper." Those are mantras for me, which I discovered only by teaching. 
the last couple of years, you've written a number of memoirs, four. I read in one interview that, you know, after you contracted that virus, you felt like you couldn't write fiction, and you began writing memoirs. And I'm wondering why and what it is about the form of memoir that was perhaps easier to approach than fiction. There are two separate ways to answer this. The first one is, for me, fiction has always been about voice. It always begins in voice. I hear a character's voice. It's not, for me, ever about plot or straight narrative. And once I got sick, really the only way to describe what happened after the neurological damage that I incurred is to say that the voices stopped. I just didn't hear them anymore. And what began to come clear for me as I began to be able to write a little bit again was that the voice that I needed to be speaking in now in my prose work was my own voice. And that if I were ever to regain my voice from a disease that seemed bent on silencing me, I needed to write about what was happening. I, need, I needed to try to understand it well enough to describe it to myself. And then I could offer it to a reader as well. So was writing memoir also a way to reconstitute the memory that you were having trouble yes. with? <laughs> it was a way of putting the pieces together and in, in some senses reassembling a narrative based on these fragments that endured and insisted. And did you find that in starting with a fragment, you were able to find a thread that connected to something else that perhaps you didn't remember initially? What I found was, you know, I would save these fragments, 15 minutes here, two minutes there, 10 minutes here. I would save these little just jottings in colored folders. You know, there was a folder for my parents and childhood. There was a folder for my brother. There was a folder about my daughter. There was a folder for love. There was a folder for college years, for baseball, for whatever. And the bits and pieces would cohere if I had them in the right folder. And so sometimes I would then find that, wait a minute, this is, there's an overlap here, obviously. And some of these things that are in the college folder also apply to what was happening in my relationship with my mother, for example. And I would be able to see coherences. And some of that is due to the fact that all these things were coming at roughly the same time. They were coming out of the same emotional nexus. I didn't see how they connected initially using my rational powers, but emotionally, my emotional self sensed that there were connections. And that while they needed to be stored in separate folders, they really were part of a whole emerging story. There's an essay of mine in the book In the Shadow of Memory, which is called Kismet, which is about my brother's death at the age of 57, when I was 50. And it began almost a year after his death when I was listening to a piece of music that triggered a burst of tears. And I had no idea why I was crying what it was in that music. And in tracing that music, I began to see how there were themes within the music that 
registered with my life with my brother. And then I saw, oh, for the last year, I've been accumulating bits and pieces about my brother, not seeing that they held together, they held together around this music. I notice that music seems to be a theme in a lot of these stories. Do you find that music is helpful to you as a writer? Well, music is one of a number of elements of popular culture that occur in my work. There's, there's sports, there's theater, there's music, there's television and movies. I was born in 1947. I grew up in the, in the 50s, very attuned to early rock and roll, Broadway musicals, the TV and movies of that, that period, and they've become an essential part of how I relate back to the world. In that story you're talking about, that devoted to you, there's these two brothers, and the brother who's speaking is, can't, is such a fan of the Everly Brothers that he, he can't help but even think in terms of their lyrics. He's searching for the kind of harmony with his brother that he heard in the voices of the Everly Brothers. It was written well before my brother's illness and death, and I, I see it as a story that prefigures what I wrote about in the essay I mentioned before, Kismet, that came much later. Do you find yourself circling around certain themes or stories, that, that you're retelling certain stories in different ways? I hope not. That, that said, though, you know, will I ever be done writing about my mother? Here I am, 64, she's gone. But I can't see that I'm ever going to stop writing about my mother, my childhood family, and the forces that shaped me as they did. I, I don't see how I can be done writing about the love that I have with, with Beverly or with my daughter. But I hope I'm not repeating specific stories. That said, I often plagiarize myself quite openly, making certain discoveries while writing a poem that make it clear to me I got more to deal with in this material. So that poem will lead to an essay, or in some cases, when I was working more fully with, with short fiction, the poem will lead to a story. But most likely, it's now the poems and the essays reverberate back and forth, and an episode that I've discovered in a poem will open up into what needs to be handled in an essay. And I see a lot of correlations across the years in the different genres that I work in. Since you work in so many different genres, I'm wondering, how do you know what it wants to be or what form it wants to take? Mm -hmm. Or do you? A lot of it has to do with scale. The kind of poet I am is a lyric poet. My work is typically short, it's not long narrative verse. It's not, might be a dramatic monologue or something of that sort, but they're pretty contained. They're moments. And when that material comes, it's clear that I'm writing out of a particular moment. Sometimes I'll see really clearly that, no, this is a bigger, there's more material than will fit in the kind of poetry that I write, and it's got to be a longer, it's got to be an essay. And one last question. 
You said that when you were younger, you did a lot of planning, and now you need to be more present. How has that, do you think, influenced the kind of writing that you do, or, or what, what occurs to you? Well, I just think my, my, my work has a more organic structure than it used to. It unfolds in a more fragmented, less coherent way that eventually, but it eventually does cohere. It's stranger, a little odder than it used to be. But it's it's really hard to make statements about one's own work uh, and to have them be trustworthy in any way. I'm I'm really not sure what more I can say about what my work looks like now versus what it is before, but I know what it feels like to write now, and it's a very different feeling. What does it feel like now? As I said, it's more an act of discovery. It's It even is more playful, and it's more experimental. It feels a little bolder and more daring for me. It may not come across that way for a reader, but it feels that way for me. And it, it reveals more to me that was in the material than I thought. I have a good sense, maybe, of what is promising material to be handled, but I don't have any sense when I'm getting started on how I'm going to handle it. Thank you so much. I've been talking with Floyd Skloot, and this is Writers on Craft. Thank you for joining us. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Writers on Craft is a weekly podcast produced in conjunction with Cable Community Radio. For more interviews with writers about the craft of writing and the creative process, go to writersoncraft.com or visit kboo.fm slash writersoncraft.com.